I've expressed this or not, but I do love basketball. And in my opinion, that was one of the great things, one of the great things about moving back to the state of Indiana is just all the tradition uh, of the game of basketball. And for some of you, you might remember the exact event when Milan High School went up against the great Muncie Central and, and overcame great odds to you know, defeat uh, the mighty school, the small school defeating the mighty school, the David story versus the Goliath story. But I absolutely love the movie Hoosiers. In fact, we might as well just pop some popcorn and watch the rest of it here today and call it a good day, huh? Wouldn't that be a good idea? If you've never seen it before, the Colts aren't on today, pick it up on your way home, watch it this afternoon. It's a great film. But there are many things I love about that film. One of them is I I find myself in that movie quite a bit, or at least I'd like to find myself in that movie. I'd like to go back to high school and try a little harder and enjoy that competition. And there's something weird that happens in me, even as a 33-year-old guy, Uh, On Friday, I went with Chris Johnson. We were playing basketball, open gym down at the Monon Center. And even when I walk out on the court for just the simple thing that we call open gym, I go to another place. You know, it's like I return, you know, to my high school days or or where I wish I could be or even Hinkle Fieldhouse, you know, and I'm playing for Hickory. And, you know, what can we do to overcome, you know, this mighty giant, this, this great foe, this great team? But here's what I love about that clip. I love that moment as they're walking down the tunnel and they walk through the archway and they pass through the tunnel and there they stand for the very first time looking out at Hinkle Fieldhouse. Some of you have been there before and when it's with people it's a great sight, but imagine seeing it for the first time. You know, here are these guys who had played in this small hometown gym and maybe some larger courts around the area, but for the very first time, they get to walk out as players on this court and to see it for themselves. For some of them, they probably had never seen it before, and maybe they listened to games on the radio or they had heard people talking about it, but now it stood before them. And you can't help but wonder, as they looked out on this court, that they weren't thinking, what in the world have we gotten ourselves into? You know, we're not supposed to be here. You know, we weren't supposed to defeat all those teams and make our way all the way to the state championship. And now they have to contend with reality. You know, what stands before them is not, on this, not only this enormous arena, but all of the fans that will come into the place. And then they will stand face to face in the movie against the Gary Bears and attempt to do what no small team had ever done before. Does life ever feel like that to you? You know, when you think about your own life and when you do kind of the day-to-day routine and come up up against some challenges, you you stand face-to-face with some circumstances in your life that oppose you, that threaten to take you down. Have you ever found yourself in that type of a situation? Are you living in that kind of situation today? Boy, I mean, it sure looks like that with our economy right now. You know, just wondering, you know, what is it going to take to reverse, you know, this downward spiral of our economy? You know, is it a bill that, that will be passed maybe later on today? Or, you know, is it just going to take time? And how long will we have to endure it? This great giant that stands face to face before us, how will we ever get through? Or maybe for you, it's a, it's a new job. And it's nothing but good news, but you've stepped into a position. You've stepped, in, stepped into an opportunity that's greater than you. It's bigger than anything you could have ever hoped for. Or maybe it's your age. And you've got to face it. You've got to stand face to face with it and try and get through. Maybe you're managing two jobs. You've got a kid in college and in order to pay the bills, you've got to work a second job. And and so you're you're racing through life trying to, to get this job done, but you leave there and you go to another job in the evenings or on the weekends. Or maybe you're a single mom or a single parent. 
you know, and the responsibilities of, of taking care of your kids and getting them off to school in the morning and getting to your job and getting home and taking care of the kids again and feeding them and being involved with your church. It's a little overwhelming at times. It stands before you. You face it every day. Or it's in your dating relationship. You know, and you and your boyfriend or you and your girlfriend, you're doing everything you can to remain pure. You want to have a pure relationship until your wedding day, but it's hard. You know, it's not easy. You know, the pressure is always there. The temptation is always there. Maybe it's the stress of school. You know, you're trying to fit in and you're trying to stay strong in your faith and you want to do the right things and you want to do what your parents have said or what they've taught you to do, but the peer pressure can become great. And when everyone else is standing you around you, pushing you or urging you to do things that you know you shouldn't be doing, it's tough. And you stand face to face with it, wondering how you're going to get through or how you can overcome it. Well, when we find ourselves in these types of situations, our faith is put to the test. Our faith is put to the test. We face the challenges. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about faith, and we're going to continue talking about faith, and again next week as we wrap up our series on mind games. But I just want to start with a definition, just kind of a review from past week. What, what is faith? Just a simple definition of the word faith. It's this. Faith is confidence and trust in something we cannot see. Faith is to put our confidence and to put our trust in something that we cannot see. It's an investment in something beyond ourselves. The Bible gives a very clear and simple definition of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It says, Faith means being sure of the things we hope for and knowing that something is real even if we do not see it. Faith is trust. It's confidence. It's putting our hope in. It's, it's investing in something that we cannot necessarily see, but we believe that it's out there, that, it, that it's worth putting our faith into. But a few things that we need to remember about faith that I think sometimes in my life and maybe in your life, we, we kind of get out of focus and we forget really how faith works and what it's about. Just a couple of things real quick, just as a review from last week. First of all, you can't have faith in faith. You can't have faith in faith. There is no power in faith alone. Faith is not magical. You know, it's not mystical. It's not willpower. It's not positive thinking or just a great sense of optimism or a drive for optimism. You can't have faith in faith. It will get you nowhere. But it leads us to the second point, and that is that your faith must be in something. You know, as a follower of Jesus Christ, or whether you're standing outside looking in right now, trying to, to think about what is this all about, what, what is this God thing all about, your faith must be in something. Faith alone, as the Bible says, doesn't move mountains. It's God who moves the mountains, and we have to put our faith and our trust in Him that He will do those things. And the final piece is this, that faith is a gift from God. That, that faith in its, of itself is nothing, our faith must be in something, and when we put our faith in God, here is what He has promised to us, that He will give us the faith that we need. He will give us that ability to trust. You know, Ben and I, we were, we were talking about in the office just this past week, just spent a few minutes talking about, you know, th this reality that our faith is not dependent upon our own power or what we are capable of. And what a great joy that is. What a great truth that is that faith comes from God. And when we stand in front of situations and circumstances in, my, in our lives 
where we don't know how we're going to get through or, we are, or how we're going to answer the tough questions or where the resources are going to come from, we can find truth and hope in the fact that faith comes from God. And if we will put our trust in Him and our faith in Him, then He has promised us something in return. It's the greatest asset we have. It leads to salvation. It helps us to grow as followers of Jesus. We have victory in this world as followers of Jesus because of faith. But there's another side to faith. There's an opposing side, just as there were for, the, you know, for hickory against the Gary Bears. And that opposite side of faith is, is unbelief. That, that if we're going to have faith, or if we're going to strive to have faith in God, there are going to be times in our life where we're going to struggle with unbelief. It stands in direct opposition to faith. It's a stumbling block. And when we stand face to face with hard times and dur- difficult circumstances in life, It's easy to lose faith, isn't it? Especially when it goes on for a long time. I mean, it's all right once in a while. You know, maybe a day of challenges, maybe even a week of challenges. But what about months of challenges or years? I've struggled with it. I've struggled with unbelief. Maybe you have too. But when we lose faith, when we're challenged, when we're put into these trying times, we we play mind games. Our mind gets the best of us and we lose hope and we, we start to worry. Guilt overcomes us. We, we start thinking things that aren't really true. Things like what we talked about last week, this idea that, that maybe God has abandoned me or I'll never get through this or, or today to even look at this possibility that I can't do it. That I am faced with such an overwhelming situation right now in my life that there is no way I can do it. I can't get through There is no end in sight. There's no way to get by it. And that's why we look to Gideon. And that's why we look at Gideon, because he struggled with his faith. If you've got your Bibles this morning, turn to the book of Judges. Go to the Old Testament. If you don't know where Judges is, go to the very front of your Bible and just kind of count off. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. If you start seeing Joshua, you're in a good place. And if you're looking at like Mark or something, you're a long way off. Turn to the person next to you, ask him to help you or whatever. We're all learning together. But turn to the book of Judges. Uh, This is where we meet Gideon. And you need to know this, and, and I hope that you will see this in our reading today, that Gideon was no giant of the faith. You know, as you look at his life and the situations that God put him in, you can follow his faith and you will see all of the ups and the downs to his faith. He's just like you and me. He's no different than, than you and me. But the book of Judges is a history book. And some say that Samuel wrote Judges, but no one is absolutely sure. But the Judges in this book of the Bible are not like Judges that we, that we hear about today. A judge in the Bible was chosen. It was a a particular person chosen for a particular task, a a special assignment. Judges chapter 2, verse 16, lays it out pretty clear for us in the purpose of these judges. It says, Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. And let's just be clear that this has nothing to do with the pitiful NFL team that plays from Oakland, all right? This is a totally different group of people, all right? But a judge was a military leader chosen by God, to deliver Israel during a difficult time, during a difficult part of its history. And as you may recall from last week, Israel had fallen into the hands of the Midianites, okay, a local foreign group of people who had invaded Israel. And not only did they come once, but they came over and over again for a period of seven years. 
And so for seven years, Israel endured this ongoing invasion by the Midianites where they came in and killed people. They raided people's homes. They, they stole from the land. And as a result of these raids, the people of Israel were forced from their homes. They were forced from their towns and they fled into the country, into the mountains where we met Gideon last week. And when we meet Gideon in Judges chapter 6, life is not good. I mean, and it's not only bad, but it's real bad. I, and this, this, is, this is approaching the end of life as Gideon has known it. And for many of the Israelites, the possibility that they are about to be completely annihilated by the Midianite people. And that's where we pick up in Judges chapter 6, verse 25. You might remember from last week, that Gideon, hiding in the hillside, wondering at this possibility, has their great God abandoned them, has come and has encouraged Gideon and has called him now for this specific assignment as a judge to help deliver the Israelite people. And so we find a newly motivated Gideon in Judges chapter 6, beginning at verse 25. It says, That same night the Lord said to him, being Gideon, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, and tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. Here's what's happening. God has asked Gideon to eliminate the presence of sin in Israel. And that's something interesting for you and me to think about. Because in our day-to-day -day living, in our desire to have this great faith and to get through these difficult situations that we're living in, sometimes one of the things that God may call us to do is to get rid of the sin in our life. And that's not easy. And that might be a challenge. But, you know, maybe you've been going through a difficult situation and you are just so drowning in some poor choices right now and you know it. And we believe that God still loves you for that, and that's the reason that Christ died. But sometimes he just wants to remove us from those situations so that he can get us out of the junk that we're in. And that's what he's doing here with the Israelite people. And so he says to Gideon, you know what? You've, you've put up all these altars and these idols to these foreign gods, and I need you to go and I need you to tear them down and rededicate this land and these people to me. But here's what I think is interesting in verse 27. As Gideon is obedient, look what happens here. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the men of the town, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. Okay, here's our lesson on faith. What do we see here with Gideon? That he was afraid. And Gideon could have said, you know what, I can't do this. I am not up for the challenge that you have put me in. But instead he went on. And I think it's a great lesson for us as we live every day. It's a lesson on faith. It's this. That faith is the confidence that God is greater than my fears. Faith is the confidence that God is greater than my fears. Gideon took a great chance here because he was a dead duck. You know, he we, we will, you will quickly discover as you read on these verses here, if you choose to do so, that, that people wanted to take his life for what he's just done because, you know, not only has he torn down some altars that people prayed to, but there was a lot of money involved in this. And Gideon has just destroyed it. And so he's a wanted man. But he had a new motivation because Gideon's faith was found in a God who was willing to stand by his side. And here's what we find in Gideon. We find a man that even though fear is present in his life, he's courageous 
because he's put his faith in God. As you may remember, just a few weeks ago, uh, my family and I, we had the opportunity to go to Disney World, which is an adventure in itself for many reasons as a parent of three children. And we went and we had a great time. And, and even I can remember as a young kid going to Disney World or going to the Magic, when it was just the Magic Kingdom. You know, but now Disney World has Animal Kingdom and Downtown Disney and Typhoon Lagoon and this place called Blizzard Beach. All right, and Blizzard Beach is this water park this water park that only Disney, you know, can come up with, with all of this atmosphere, and it plays off this theme of a ski resort, but you're going down water slides, all this good stuff. Well, I went with some of my family members, some of our extended family, to Blizzard Beach one morning and afternoon. Blizzard Beach is home to this water slide. I've got a picture of it called Summit Plummet, all right? There it is. Summit Plummet stands 120 feet tall, and it's about straight down, all right? And uh, it is the pride of Blizzard Beach. They claim that it is the tallest, fastest water slide in the world, that you reach a speed of 55 mile per hour as you race down this slide. And so my brother-in-law and I, we, it was one of the first things that we did. And, uh, you know, we wanted to be courageous, but I'm not going to lie. As I was climbing these stairs and getting closer to the top, I was a little afraid, and I'm not afraid to admit that now. And as I got even closer to the slide, to the point that it was my time, here's what made it even more frightening, that you had to lay down in this slide, but there was no way of, like, leaning forward and looking over, because if you leaned over and looked forward, you were going head first, and they did not recommend that, all right? And so I laid down in this slide, and, and I'm all ready to go, but there came a moment when I finally laid down in the water, and my heart was pounding when I was thinking, why am I doing this? You know, why am I putting myself through this? And so I, I contained myself. I, I dug deep. You know, I'm a man and, you know, I'm capable of doing these types of things. And it might have had something to do with the 10-year-olds that were lined up behind me too. All right. Especially the young little girls. All right. But, but I finally let go and, and fell down this slide. And I mean, it doesn't last but more than a blink. And I mean, it literally takes your breath away and it's worth every bit of it you know we we got back up and we went down it a couple more times but even like we went up like a second time a third time and a fourth time and even by like the fourth time i was still laying in there thinking why am i doing this again you know i mean why do we put ourselves through these kinds of things but having faith in god doesn't mean that we're not ever going to be afraid but putting our faith in god does mean that we can be courageous because God is with us, and he will go with us, and he will walk with us. I mean, we see it in the Bible. Moses was afraid to go to Pharaoh. It took him a long time to finally getting around to following God's desire for his life to, to go and to, to approach Pharaoh and deliver his people. The apostle Paul was afraid. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, he writes, I came to you, the church at Corinth, in weakness and fear and with much trembling. He was afraid to be there. He didn't know what lie was going to lie in front of him. In Mark chapter 14, verse 33, we read about Jesus. He says he took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled as he marched toward Gethsemane. Moses was afraid. Paul was afraid. Jesus was afraid. Faith is not the absence of fear, but it's how we manage that fear. It's how we channel and control that fear in us. And, and I think it's interesting, even as we look here at Mark chapter 14, that even with Jesus knowing what his supreme mission was in coming to this earth, and that was to give his life. As the moments you know, came closer and closer, as he took each step towards Gethsemane, we see you know, 
a, a God who wasn't regretting what he was about to do, but he, he was just afraid of that separation from his father. And so what does he do? He asks Peter and James and John to come along with him. He needed their support and encouragement. And while there is no you know, guarantee that you'll never deal with fear, in fact, you're going to deal with fear, we can expect it. Here's what I think even this verse in Mark 14 shows us, that I think we can find encouragement and hope in others. And that's why this Genesis family is so important. That's why the church is important. And that's why I think it's important that you're here today. Because you're going to walk through some situations in life once in a while that are going to be very difficult and trying. But I believe as the body of Christ that we can come together and we can support one another and we can walk with each other through these difficult and trying times. We have these things that maybe you've read about in the bulletin or you've heard us talk about from the stage called small groups. It's not just a group for little people, you know, it's a a group of people that we invite you to connect with, you know, because it's easy to walk in here on a Sunday and to maybe meet a couple of people, but after time, I think if you keep coming and coming, you're going to want to get to know people better, and we believe one of the best ways to get to know people better at Genesis Church is to get into one of our small groups. It's a group of 8, 10, 12, sometimes 15 people who get together regularly and eat. There's usually eating involved. And just getting to know each other and doing life together. You know, and the greatest things are, in my opinion, that when you see a group that is not only meeting on its maybe scheduled Sunday night time at somebody else's house, but the next thing you know, they're meeting on a Friday, and then they're going and doing something together on a Saturday. It's an opportunity to get into relationships with other people and just to do life together. We've got an event coming up next Sunday night called Group Link. It's at 5.30. It'll be held right here in our, our cafe here at church. We'd invite you to come. If you're not a part of a group and you'd like to know a little bit more about this church or just meet people, we invite you to come to Group Link. We've got some information about it this morning back at the Info Hub, and we'd be happy to talk with you about it. But again, having faith doesn't mean we won't ever be afraid. Gideon was afraid, but his faith in God overcame his fear. And standing face-to-face with great opposition, he was willing to keep moving. The second thing is the second lesson on faith, that faith is the confidence that God is greater than my resources. Faith is confidence that God is greater than my resources. Look at chapter 7. You might have to turn over a page or or go down a few more verses. Judges chapter 7, beginning at verse 1. It says, Early in the morning, Jerubbaal, Gideon had been given a new name, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. And the Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands. In order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her, announce now to the people, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back to leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. So God, for whatever reason, decided that Gideon and his men, there were just too many of them. And so he said to Gideon, you know what? Give them the opportunity to walk away because if they're going to be afraid and they're not willing to give it everything they have, just let them go. And so 22,000 men walked away. The army is now down to 10,000. Verse 4, but the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water and I will sift them for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So it's kind of this recess game of almost like choosing captains and, and picking your people. Frightened me to death as a kid that I wouldn't get picked. All right, verse 5. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. 
300 men lapped with their hands to their mouths. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. Now, it's a very interesting situation, but here's the point. 10,000 was still too many. Gideon's army has now gone from 32,300 men, I'll see if I can get my math here right, to 10,000 and finally down to 300 men. Some records indicate that the Midianite army was as great as 135,000 men. 135,000 versus 300. These are not very favorable odds. And maybe the odds have stacked up against you at times too. I mean, have you ever stood face to face with the situation that, that was so overwhelming? You know, maybe it was a moral decision in your life. And you were, you were confident and you were courageous enough and you were determined to, to, to maintain this morality in your life. But as you were trying to do this, every, everyone around you was criticizing you. Maybe it was coworkers or friends. And, and you stand face to face to them as they criticize your every move. And you know it's not right, you know, to, to give in. And, and so you're trying to remain strong, but, but the pressure's high. Maybe it was a high-risk pregnancy. You stood face to face with the risk of not only your baby's life, but maybe your life too. Or again, maybe it was a career move. You stepped out boldly and in faith to start a new business. You knew it would be hard, but not this hard. In fact, you've invested everything you have into this, and you're standing face to face with the reality that it could all fall apart. But you believe that God told you to do it. You know, I think even for, for my family, you know, in, in this idea of moving to, to Indianapolis during such a difficult housing, you know, market, I, I'm a worrier. You know, I worry and I have to overcome my worry all the time and my, my faith will fall apart and crumble, especially, you know, when things around us with the, the housing market are so great. You know, and, and the idea of putting our house up for sale during this time. I've got a friend whose house has been for sale for two years. You know, but trusting that God would pull through, that he would be involved in all of this. And as a Genesis family, I know that you've stood face to face with some uncertainty, you know, whether it be transition in leadership or, or moving around from location to location to finally, you know, finding this place and making it home here on Pleasant Street. And in the process of doing that, many of you have been challenged to give faithfully. And in so doing, you had to, to put your faith and your trust in God with your own resources and to trust that as you gave, that he would continue to provide for you. And you've done that and you've been faithful and We've arrived to this place in this time. Why does God allow us to fall into these situations? Well, he uses these situations to test our faith. And with Gideon with, and with his army, he wanted to make sure that he got the glory and no one else did. But here's what it proves. It proves that God is greater than our resources. He is capable of doing so much more than anything we could ever attain or possess. And he knows what it will take. He knows the ins and the outs. He knows the risks and the challenges of everything we face. He knows our timeline. He provides, and he always provides in just the right time. George Mueller was born in Prussia in 1805 and was attending college when he became a Christian. Mueller had always been known for his gambling debts and drunken stories and escapades, and his life was transformed and changed when he met Jesus Christ. He finished school and left for England to be a preacher. He and his wife settled in Bristol, England, where they saw many orphans roaming the streets, uncared for, 
unfed, often sick, and virtually guaranteed death at a young age. One writer writes, George and his wife decided to start an orphanage that would be entirely free of charge and for which they would never ask any money or support. And when they had needs, they would go to God alone, trusting that he would give them everything they needed. Many people were incredulous, and so the Mueller's purpose in starting the orphanage became twofold. The first was obviously to help the orphans. The second was to show people what it looked like to trust God for everything. When the first orphan house opened, George and his wife Mary prayed for everything they needed. According to George's meticulous records, God provided all they asked for, and by the time George died in 1898, over 10,000 orphans had been housed and cared for in the five orphan houses they built. During his lifetime, a million and a half pounds went through George's hands in the form of donations. He directed every cent towards those in need. And after his death, a British paper wrote of George that he robbed the cruel streets of thousands of victims, the jails of thousands of felons, and the poorhouses of thousands of helpless waifs. And it was all accomplished by prayer and by trusting in God. George Mueller believed that God was greater than all of his resources. 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 6 says, Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or few. God is greater than our resources. And the final thing, the last thing is this, that faith is the confidence that God is greater than my effort, that He is greater than my fears, that He is greater than my resources, and He is greater than my effort. 300 men versus 135,000. Gideon had to be out of his mind or just losing one. Look at Judges one more time. Uh, Judges chapter 7, beginning in verse 8. It's so, so, so Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites to their tents, but kept the 300, who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. And during that night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp, because I am giving, going to give it into your hands. And then catch this, verse 10. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Purah and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Purah, his servant, went down to the outpost of the camp. Remember, God said, if you're afraid, go ahead and go down there. What did Gideon do? He went ahead and went down there. He was still afraid. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley thickest locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. And he's, over, he's listening to this without this man knowing. I had a dream, the man said. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. Now, if I was Gideon, I'd probably walk away right now, knowing that God, what, he's going to destroy the Midianites with a bagel? You know, what's, what's going on here? Okay, well, barley bread was a bread often made by poor people, by peasants. It was cheap to make. It was an easy resource. And so what God is simply saying here is, hey, these weak people are about to get real strong. His friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. And when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped God. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, get up. The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. And dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. 
verse 17. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. And when I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then shout from all around the camp, blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. And Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle of watch. And just after they had changed the guard, they blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars. And grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow, they shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And while each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. If you want to know the rest of the story, I'll let you read it for yourself. What a sight, though. What a defeat. 135,000 men, an army defeated by 300. I mean, how would the headlines write it in the paper the next day? Can you imagine what the experience was like for Gideon watching as God delivered his people? But the question is, what do we learn from this story? Here's what I think we learn. That God is greater than my effort. That God is greater than your effort. That God is capable of doing so much more in your life than you could ever imagine or hope to do for yourself. That He is greater than any medical report. He is any greater that bill comes in the mail. He is greater than any project that you face at work right now. He is greater than any difficult conversation we've not yet had. He is greater than any painful memory from our past and any challenge that stands before us as a church today. God is greater than our fears. He is greater than your fear. He is greater than your resources. And God is greater than your effort. The Bible says that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And I believe that He can give that to you. And so what do you stand face to face with right now? What's your life? What's your story? Is it a relationship issue? Is it a parenting issue? Maybe it has to do with money uncertainty with the future, pain from your past that won't go away. Where do you need God's help in your life right now? Where do you need faith? Where do you need Him to show up in your life? What, what does your battlefield look like as you lay it out in your mind? And what are the odds standing before you right now? I just wanted to give you three verses here uh, as we come to a, a conclusion here. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. You might write these down and, and look them up later or keep them in your Bible for support and strength. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17. Ah, sovereign Lord, You have made the heavens and the earth by Your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for You. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us firmly hold, or hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, and that faith being in Jesus. You know, today is the last day of the regular season for Major League Baseball, and many teams have already celebrated their playoff berth. 
And today the final teams will, will be decided. I don't know, there maybe could be a playoff even tomorrow. But unfortunately, my team is not a part of the playoffs this year, the St. Louis Cardinals. But there's always next year. But here's the great thing about the playoffs. Your record doesn't matter. You know, once you get in the last 162 games, they, they don't mean anything anymore. And so on Tuesday, each of the eight qualifying teams will get a fresh start. And every guy that puts on a uniform over the next few weeks will put it on with this desire and this determination to win the granddaddy of all, and that's to win the World Series. But only t- one team will win. And after the last pitch is thrown and one team comes out on top, there'll be one team, there'll be one group of guys celebrating in the locker room. And that one team will enter the locker room, they'll pop open the champagne, they'll make fools of themselves, they'll embrace one another and make phone calls, and they'll celebrate the victory that has been given to them. Well, today as we come to this time in our service, I want to invite you to celebrate victory with us as we take the Lord's Supper today. For us, communion is a symbol of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what it means to us who have put our faith in Jesus. And the bread is a symbol of of Christ's body as it was broken on the cross and the juice is a symbol of His blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. It's a symbol of what He did for you and me. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we want to invite you here with us over the next few minutes as the ushers come and they take these communion elements and pass them to take the bread and to take the juice. And if you've put your trust in Jesus, then you can, we, we invite you, no matter what church you, you've come from, that you, you can join us today. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, here's what I would invite you to do. Maybe just kind of take this time to reflect a little bit and to ask yourself the question, where am I with God right now? And what will need to happen in my life for me to to finally take that step to put my trust in Him? And so we're going to pass these elements, and I invite you to take them into your hand. And I want you to use this time to reflect on your own life. What are you standing face-to-face with right now? Where do you need faith? And pray that God will give you the strength that you need. Pray that He will give you the faith. And when you're ready, after you've taken the elements, you take communion at any time from here on out in the rest of the service. And let's just say to ourselves, while I can't do it, I can find hope and victory in that He did. He already did it. And He'll help us get through. Will you pray with me? Father God, I just pray right now that You would invade our hearts, our minds, and our lives, Lord, as we just come to this place where we celebrate and remember your death and resurrection. And God, I know that there may be some here today, Lord, who are carrying heavy hearts. Uh, They've got a great battlefield that stands before them right now, and they're just looking for faith. And for these brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord, I just pray that maybe you would use this time today to remind them that they don't have to get through it because you already did, and that you've promised to give us the faith and the strength that we need. And so may that be a great reminder today as we celebrate communion. For my friends here today, Lord, who who don't know you or who are still kind of checking this out or investigating all of this, I pray that you would just use this time to speak to them and to their lives, Lord, to help them to see where they are and where they could be. 
and what it would be like to put that trust in you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Let's pray together. Father God, um, you are so good to us. And uh, we thank you for a time today to, to pause and to be silent before you, God, to remember um, your love for us, uh, that love displayed on a tree, God, in the form of your son taking on my sins and uh, God paying the price uh, that I owed so that I could know freedom and I could know hope and that I could know your love. God, um, we just say thanks for that today. Um, as we've sat and prayed, as, uh, as we sing this song to you, God, we just pray that um, you would hear our hearts this morning, God, uh, of adoration and uh, a heart that just wants to tell you thank you uh, for the love that you, you so willingly gave to us, God. It's your son's name that we pray now. Amen. We're going to move into a time of worship. If you haven't taken the elements, um, feel free to hang on to those and just take them in your time. But I invite you to stand with us.
that this morning amen Amen. hey we are so glad uh, that you came to be here with us today and if you're checking Genesis out we'd love to help you and serve you in any way that we can as you leave today stop by the info hub Uh, you can ask questions there find out a little bit more about our church or just go up to somebody who looks like they know what they're doing or even if they don't get to know them Uh, who knows maybe you'll have lunch together or something so have a great day we'll see you next week all right bye-bye